of my life, I was just lost step out, in the desert. Because you never you know, know how the Lord's got to a low point. I'm Troy Sadowski, uh, former NFL football player. There was I have my one. one. I went to the I have my one. I went to the
about the importance of one. The importance of one. How important one is. You know, one invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, one coworker, one friend. Can you name one person who has come to know Jesus Christ through your witness? Through your witness. Can you think of one person who you have had an encounter with and that person has come to know Christ. Now don't beat yourself up over that because there's a lot of people uh, there's studies that show right now sometimes it takes as many as 85 people 85 people to reach one person. If you haven't then I'm 
I not only want to pray for your one that you're trying to reach, I want to pray for you that you will have your first one that you are able, able to share your witness. It's a powerful moment. It is a powerful moment when you lead a person to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I've shared before that my one of my first ones was one that was horrible and that I was it was the worst presentation of the gospel ever made. Uh, I was a guy I was trying to get rid of, and I thought sharing Jesus with him would make him leave me alone. Uh, that's not a good motivation, but it worked from God's perspective. The person wound up getting saved, uh, and and that kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, one. You don't get rid of a person then, uh, so I was stuck with him even longer. But but at the same time, it showed me God's power is much greater than me. It's not about my ability to make a great presentation. It's about my willingness to share the gospel, about my willingness to share the gospel. And obviously, you don't want to go out and purposefully try to do it to turn people off. But having your first, when you once you do reach a person for Christ, and once you have that experience, then you just want another one. I remember, um, I think it was Rick Warren, I think Rick Warren shares this at Purpose Driven Church, uh, that his dad, uh, as he was dying, um, was saying that he just wanted to reach one more. It was either him or Dr. Dobson, I can't remember. You'll, you can Google it for me. Um, but uh, but they're, because their dads were both evangelical type pastor people. But he was, at, at, as he was dying, even as he was ending, he was weeping because he just wanted to have the opportunity to reach one more person for Christ. One more person for Christ. When I was eight years old and growing up in a small church and we were having revival services that I've shared before, we, uh, I was the only person saved during that revival that week. When I was growing up in Sunday school, I was the only student in my Sunday school class. That means a teacher got up every week, got there, prepared a lesson, and made that lesson preparation, and I was the only person. In fact, I used this picture because this is the kind of picture she would have. These are the pictures we'd have on the wall. And I remember loving pictures like this on the wall because she would have pictures like this during Sunday school. And I remember asking, what is this one about? What is this one about? And she would tell the story of these pictures. And in this picture, this is Philip and Nathaniel, Philip telling Nathaniel where he can find Jesus, where he can find Jesus. And this is this is the one person telling another person where to find Christ. And that's really all this is about. As D.T. Niles says, D.T. Niles said years ago, he said, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And all we are trying to do is communicate, I have met Jesus. Let me show you how you can meet Jesus, and then we leave it to Jesus and to see what he can do. That's the power of the gospel. And so we're going to look at this encounter and then a little parable that Jesus tells. And um, But I want you, again, the whole point of this series of messages is the whole time I want you to be thinking about who is it that God has called me to reach. And again, if you are the one, if you are one who has never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're praying for you this morning. We are praying that you today will make a commitment to Jesus Christ, that you will be the one that that is that Jesus reaches out to today. And so, um, so be sensitive to the fact that he wants to see you in his kingdom. He wants you to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. Lord, thank you for your gospel. 
Thank you for the good news, Lord, that Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins so that we could have everlasting life. Well, what a great and wonderful gift to know that we can live forever and live forever in a place where you reign, Lord, where sin has no place, sin has no power, death has no power, sickness, affliction, suffering are eradicated. Well, these are the things we, everyone is striving to achieve today. Lord, you promise it. You promised you were going to give this to us if we will put our trust and our faith in you. And Lord, I'm so thankful for every person in this room who has already made that commitment. But now, Lord, move in our hearts that we would share that. Share that we have made that commitment and also share how others can also know that promise. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I found it. I have I love those three words. I found it. Because they always come after a desperate moment for something that I have lost. And I don't know if you've ever lost something, but when you lose something of importance, you go through a search process that uh, that begins depending on the value of the thing that you've lost. Uh, that depends. If it's a child, obviously that's pretty big, uh, and, uh, and we've lost children before, so that's that's a huge thing. Um, our son, who is at a church actually interviewing today for a position, um, and this is on live stream, so I'm glad he already told his church. I just thought of that. Um, but um, the um, he we lost him. We lost him in an amusement park, and uh, wow, we were kind of desperate people, telling everybody. Uh, it wasn't I found it, but it was I found him uh, because we had, we were telling everybody about the child that we've lost and had everybody searching for us or whatever. I think he was, uh, I don't know, was he 16, 17 years old? No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, he was uh, he was four, four years old, and uh, and it was a it was desperate, a desperate moment. But the thing that I thought of more than anything was my daughter lost her wedding ring, not this one, my other daughter who uh, they can't be in the same place at the same time, so Katie left today. Uh, but um, they, she lost her wedding ring. Kristen and Clayton um, are uh, getting ready to leave us, and so anyway, they're, uh, they're here. We got them for this day. Uh, but they were selling all their stuff, and um, you missed out on some great bargains. Sorry about that. But they sold their couch, and the guy who, where did he live? Lexington? Yeah. Um, Lexington, Kentucky, bought the couch and was going through the couch and cleaning it out. And I'm, now that I realize this story, it makes me realize that people are going to think you never clean your couch out. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but the, he found a ring. It was, and it turned out to be, and, and it was, as God would arrange it, Kristen and Clayton were having dinner with Katie. And so he calls Kristen to say he found a ring. And Katie, it, he had a picture of it, and Katie said, that's my ring. Her wedding ring she had lost years earlier. And um, and he found it uh, and called, and there it was, restored. Think about that for a second. What if he had found it and said, a ring? <laughs> I bet I could take this to a pawn shop 
and get some money out of this and you know score for me there's some value here diamonds gold you know all these things there's some value in this and I could I could keep this hang on to this myself but that's not what he did he found it and just by looking at it realized this has value to someone else and he called reached out took a step not it wasn't complicated he called out and said hey I have found this do you know who this belongs to do you know this means something to and there she is sitting there at the table just have God happen to arrange the circumstances and that belongs to me and and that God brought to so something of value was restored to the person who needed it that is how the gospel works. God gives you something that's of value to you and, and you discover it, but you realize that something this great, this amazing, this wonderful, it, I can't keep it. I can't just hold it to myself. I can't just try to maximize everything I can to get out of it. I need to share it. I need to see who else this is supposed to go to. This information, this knowledge is too great for me to hold to myself. I mean, it, I mean, it would be like when you meet somebody and you see somebody and, they, and, you, and you have something and they have a great need for the thing that you have. You should want to share that which you have. You possess this. Here is what I have to give you. Look in John chapter 1. John, this is what is happening. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, people are meeting him for the first time. Their encounter with Christ is so overwhelming, so compelling, they don't keep it to themselves. Look in John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Now, he's sharing with him, you know how we grew up learning about a Messiah, and how when we went to school, they would teach us about this person. And we all pray for this, and all think there's some day that's going to come, we have found this person. Now, that's no small thing. That's a huge thing. I mean, we talk about the second coming of Jesus. And it would, it's on the same level of as we talk about the second coming. If you came and said, you know how we, we talk about the second coming? Well, it's happened. He's here. Now, would that not evoke just a tad bit of skepticism in you and me and say, yeah, maybe. I don't think so. That's, but this is what he, he this is what he's saying. This is Nathaniel's response. It's classic. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come out of Nazareth? Now, I I can connect to this because I grew up in a little town called Dundee, Kentucky. Now. This is kind of how it goes. When you looked at a scope of places, some of the worst places in the United States, Kentucky would be ranked toward the bottom of the nation. We would, 
we may have a good basketball team, but the state, we were, we were never a prominent state of this is a great place to be. Within the state of Kentucky, we have 120 counties. Our county was at the lower point of this is not a great place to be from anyway. Within the county of Ohio County, there's a ranking of towns for which one wants to be in. And Fordsville, where my dad grew up, was up the road. Um, and, and everybody said, you don't want to be from Fordsville. That's the lowest of places to be in the county. And for people who weren't good enough to live in Fordsville, they lived in Dundee. <laughs> so that's where I was on that scale. And, and so you have a little bit of a, I'll tell you, our claim to fame, we have a goat on top of a building, and we tell everybody about it. It's on the sign, the entrance of the town. That's all we've got. I mean, people say, what's so big about the goat? It's like, hey, don't mess with the goat. That's all we got. We only have a goat, uh, and we have a story about it. I won't bore you with the story, but unless you want to hear it later. But the, um, because I know the story of the goat. <laughs> I know it well, because uh, that's our story. But anyway, we're from this little town, 200, less than 200 people. I always said it was like growing up in a convalescent home because that's kind of Dundee. So I get what it means when he says, what good can come out of Nazareth? I know what he's talking about. He's talking about nobody, nothing comes from there that's of any worth or import. It just means it's just, it, it's, it doesn't mean anything. And you all know towns like this. You know places like this that people are like, oh, at least we're not from there. The fact that Jesus was from there just adds to the point that God loves to use foolish things to confound the wise. And, and that means, it even adds to the fact that if people are thinking the Messiah, this guy's the Messiah, it's definitely not his heritage that's making them think this. There's something else about him. There's something real, something legitimate, something that is authentic when they see it because it's not just a natural. I mean, obviously, if he's driving this amazing car or he comes from this amazing place or from an amazing school or whatever, you, you, you think great things are going to happen. People will look at you and say, I'm expecting great things from you, but not from a guy from Nazareth. And he says, look, in verse he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And this is what Philip says. Come and see. Come and see. We need to tell someone our story of how we discovered the truth of Jesus. Tell someone your story of how you discovered the truth of Jesus. There was some way, somehow, in some obscure place or some event or whatever. It may not be important to anybody else, but it's how God got the truth through to you. And it's important because that's how God did it for you. And you need to share that. That's your story. Your story is super important. And you and I need to commit to being very intentional about sharing that story. We need to think of people. Who can I tell this to? Who have I not already told this to? That's a great place to start. When you're trying to think of who should be my one, just ask yourself this question. Who doesn't know my story? Who have I not told this story to? If you've never shared your story of how you came to know Jesus or how you came to understand Jesus to your spouse, you need to tell them. If you've never told your children, you absolutely need to tell them. If you've never told neighbors or friends or family or whatever, you need to 
you know, it doesn't have to be, no, so nobody wants to hear my story. You know, that is the most artificial humility that we can have because it's not about you. Your story is not about you. Your story is about what Jesus did to reach you. And that's an amazing story. People need to hear how, how loving Jesus is and how he came to get himself clearly to you. You know why that's so impacting? Because if he would do it for you, he'd do it for anybody. And he did it for you. So tell someone how they can discover. Each disciple, Christ follower, church member, invite somebody. Invite an unchurched person to go to breakfast, go to lunch, and just tell them. Tell them your story and tell them the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is. Reveal Jesus through the church. Invite a family in your neighborhood. Look around at your neighbors. Invite them to your house. Just say, hey, we'd like to have you over and, and talk to you and pray that God would invite them to come. You know, they may come one time. You share your story. You share the gospel. And they never come back. But if you never have them, you don't even get the one opportunity. And that's the importance of one. It just takes one time. It just takes one time for them to hear it to forever change their life. So don't just blow that off or shove it off, but but to pass it along. Look and so you have fear, I found it. And the second thing the second thing is just a natural progression of that. You found it and you're sharing it and the person's skeptical, here's your line. See for yourself. That's what that's what he said. He said, "Come and see. Come and see for yourself." How many times have you said that to somebody who didn't believe, who was skeptical about it, who said, I don't believe that's real. There's a thing about social media today that people will say this line. They'll say, if you don't have a picture of it, it didn't happen. Have you ever heard that? Because that goes around. If you didn't take a picture, it didn't happen. Because people say, hey, this amazing thing happened or whatever. And they say, well, put it on Instagram because if you don't have a picture of it, it didn't happen. If, if you're over 40, I'm trying to help you out here. I'm trying to make you more cool. And uh, Instagram is a social media platform other than Facebook. So for you people over 50. Um, and, and for Snapchat people, well, don't even bother. It's worth, worth, not worth your time. Before social media, we didn't have the ability to take the picture to prove it. We just told people about it. And the only way you could literally prove it is to show somebody, is to take and show them, here it is, and demonstrate it. Now, it's better if we're not doubting Thomas people. If you don't know Thomas, Thomas was the disciple who didn't believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And he says, I'm not going to believe it's really him unless I can touch the scars in his hand and put my hand into his side and know that he's the crucified Christ. I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus appeared and invited him. said, well, touch the scars. Put your hand in my side. He felt really kind of foolish after that. But aren't we all a little bit like doubting Thomases? Aren't we all a little bit prone to say, I'm not going to believe it unless I can see it? Again, going back to if somebody said Jesus is here, he's on this planet, we're not going to believe it until we see it. We want to see it for ourselves. Now, here's the awesome part about Jesus. 
he reveals himself to others. Look what, he, look what happens in verse 49. Nathanael says, come and see. So Jesus goes to see him. And this is what Nathanael says when he meets Jesus. He says, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathanael has this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus just basically refers to, I recognize you from the fig tree or whatever. But whatever the case, and don't get caught up in that he did this or whatever particular thing. The fact is, he did what was necessary for Nathanael to believe. And that's what he does for everybody. Everybody who has a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, everybody in here who recognizes Jesus is the Lord, is, Lord, is the Savior of the world, is God. Everybody in here who believes that, God did what was necessary to bring you to that belief. He knew you, he understood you, and he did what he had to do to get you to believe. Now here's what you and I need to understand. He will do that for everyone. He will do that for everyone. He will do what is necessary to get other people to believe. All we have to do is say, come and see. Come and see. And, and see for yourself. And then he will do it. So, tell, so don't just tell someone. Teach someone how they can discover the truth of Jesus for themselves. The gospel, sharing the gospel is just simply walking people through a process of how to see the revealed Christ in Scripture. How we, how we can find Jesus become alive and real through the Word of God. And so when you and I learn what the Scripture says and we share that, we're just simply saying, here's the Bible, it's God's Word to us, and listen to what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. Now we don't have to make them believe it. We just share that information and God makes them believe it. Again, there's a story of the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and uh, and as he's sharing with the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah. Now, that's not typical, typically the gospel presentation book of choice. But through his reading of Isaiah, God reveals himself to him. And Philip just comes along and explains, you know who you're reading about there? That is the Messiah. That is Christ. Now, Philip doesn't have to go into some major manipulation tactic to try to get him to believe. He doesn't have to go to the Ethiopian Union and say, if you were to go to hell today, you know, and all these different things. He just simply says, that's Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes the Ethiopian eunuch aware that is Jesus. And he believes. But you see how he's reading something, not clearly understanding it, and brings his servant Philip alongside him and says, let me connect you through that to Christ. And that's what we do. We're like, let me show you Jesus in the Bible. Let me show him to you. Let me show you Jesus. And, and not only in the Bible, that's the authoritative part, but we can also, after the kind of the sub areas of that, we also show him in all creation. Because he's everywhere. And, and Romans tells us that. Jesus... God is revealed everywhere, but there is a special revelation of Jesus that he uses us to clearly communicate. People see God in everything in the world. God reveals himself all over the place. But we are the ones who connect these things to Jesus Christ. That's why he says, how will they hear without a preacher? They, 
they have to have us go and tell them. So teach someone how they can discover Jesus for themselves. So, like I said, invite somebody. Invite somebody. Peter invited his brother Andrew to come to meet Jesus. Or no, I'm sorry. Reverse that. That's right. Yes. No, Andrew Peter. Andrew invited Peter. Man, I'm confusing myself. I need let's go to your apologetics course on Monday. We'll straighten that out. I don't know if you've ever had what I would call the deal of a lifetime. I remember years ago, I had a, um, a person tell me um, that Apple stock was, it was plummeting. And there was like, you know, some, I don't know what it was, a share. It was within reach. I always wondered, how do people buy shares in big companies or whatever, and it's out of reach, and sometimes they don't have stock available or whatever. But Apple stock, Apple was going through a time of plummeting. They were almost doomed. And someone said, let me tell you about the deal of a lifetime. If you buy Apple shares right now, they're going to come back. They're going to bounce back. It's going to be amazing. And so when you think about... Why wouldn't you invest in something so amazing? I'll tell you, I had no money, none. So like, just sell stuff. I didn't have anything to sell except children, and that's not real popular to sell your children. So I just had to watch it come and go, and they were right. It did. I mean, Microsoft jumped in, bailed them out, and so forth, and this became this amazing deal. When you have a deal that's so, so good, if it really is authentically a deal of a lifetime, we, we go out of our way to take advantage of it. We do, I, I knew I should do it, I just couldn't do it. But what if, what if I told you that there was a deal in which if you embrace this deal, you would live forever? You would live forever. I mean, that is the deal of a lifetime, isn't it? I mean, I I think I would do, I think I would sell everything I have. I think I would give everything away. I think I would liquidate everything and say whatever it took if, if that's what it took in order to gain access to this. When the rich young ruler came alongside Jesus and Jesus is offering, and he's saying, what do I need to get this eternal life? And he's saying, keep all, and he's like, I've kept all the commandments, I'm doing everything. He was trying to do everything he could to have the promise of eternal life. And Jesus got to this place where he said, now one thing you lack, you need to sell everything you have. And then you can come with me. Some people will say, that means that real followers of Jesus sell everything they have and give it to the poor, and then they can follow Jesus. No, what it means is, is that you have to give up everything in your life in order to get the life that Jesus wants to give you. That is the cost of discipleship. I don't know if in, somebody may not have made that clear to you. Somebody may not, somebody may have kind of tainted the gospel a little bit when they were sharing it with you. Jesus says it clearly over and over and over again. He says, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. 
But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. He says, if any man's going to follow him, let him take up his cross, meaning his ex form of execution. He needs to deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. He says, if you love other family members or whatever, if those are the things you're holding on to, he says, if you try to go back and get your father's inheritance, he said, if, you, if you're clinging to a home or saying, because I meet people all the time and say, I, I'll follow Jesus, but I have to follow him here because I'm not going to leave anywhere. I can't go anywhere. It's like, well, you're not following him. You're dictating to him. You're saying to God, I will do things for you under these restrictions, under these parameters. That's not what discipleship is. For all of us, it is, there is a requirement that we lose ourselves, that we give up the lives that we have in order to receive the life that he has. Now, here's, and the reason why I point that out is, is this is why the gospel falls short for so many people. is because the gospel really only has its potency when you can demonstrate this is what I sacrificed in order to follow Christ. Jesus gives an illustration in Matthew chapter 13. In a parable. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, this was a known thing back in Jesus' day. Uh, there were all kinds of merchants who would deal in pearls. And pearls actually were of greater value than diamonds. A lot of people died trying to find these amazing resources because you could only get them out of, out of oysters. So they're diving down and, and uh, risking their lives to get these oysters and, and searching for these valuable pearls. And the, and the better the quality of the pearl, the larger the pearl, the more the potency is. So, they, so a lot of times you would invest into a pearl, and it was something, again, in this age, didn't have banks, and they didn't have vaults and all these things. So you would find pearls, and it was something of great value in a little tiny package that you could carry with you. And you would, it's your treasure. And so it's talking about this, this pearl dealer, and people are very familiar with him, somebody, and he found a pearl that was worth so much, he sold all the pearls he had and everything else he had in order to get this one pearl because it was that valuable. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It is so valuable. It is worth so much. That you would sell everything you had. You would give up everything you've got in order to get it. But this is what we tend to think. When we hear that, here's what people tend to hear. Okay, going to church is so valuable that I'm willing to lay my life down for it. Or being a part of this Sunday school class is so valuable that I'm willing to give up everything I have to do. Or coming to, coming to this type of service and it's like, I'm not buying that. I don't see that as that valuable. I don't see that as that important. And that's because we're that's what we're communicating to the world. My religion is so valuable. It's worth everything. And they're like, you know, I've seen your religion. It's not that great. It's not that great. Senior, because it comes across as we have great kids programs and we have great things for adults and we go out and have dinners and we have, you know, the people are super friendly and everything. And those things are good. 
but not worth everything I have. Friends, the gospel is not about being a part of a great community. It's eternal life. But we're talking about, we're not talking about just being with a great group of people. I mean, that's I'm glad I get to be with a great group of people. I'm talking about I get to live forever. That means death no longer has a hold on me. That means I can get cancer. I can be struck by lightning. I can get mugged. I heaven forbid I could get the coronavirus. And it will not do anything to me. If I get sick to the point where this heart stops beating and I can't breathe anymore... Jesus puts new breath into me. He gives me a new heart that beats forever. He gives me a new body that won't ever wear out. I am going to live forever. And I gave everything up. Every dream I ever had. Everything I ever wanted to be. I had dreams. I had things I wanted to be. I had things I wanted to become. I had other schools I could have gone to. I could have made more money. I have to remind my wife of this every once in a while. Why don't we do this? We can make a lot of money doing this. It's like we, we didn't choose that path. We purposefully went this direction because this is the direction that leads to eternal life. And so when you share with people, you should be able to share this is what we gave up in order to receive eternal life. We get this thought in our head that you don't do anything to earn salvation. It's true. You don't do anything to earn salvation. You can't earn your salvation. But that doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means that the things you're doing don't produce the salvation. It means the salvation you receive changes you and takes the place of the life that you had. It's literally like this. He's saying, I'm offering you this. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. But I can only give it to you if you give up what you already have. That's not you earning it. That's you receiving it. A free gift. You say, well, it's not really free if I have to give up everything. Well, if you want to think of it like that, you're right. James said it like that. P people struggle with the book of James. But he says, faith without works is dead. doesn't mean anything. If you don't do what is necessary to receive the faith, then it's dead. He's offering it. What did you give up to receive it? If you still have your old life, how do you have the new one? If you're still the old man or the old woman, the person you used to be, then how are you the new person that Jesus has made you? You see, that's where your gospel presentation will break down. That's where you have the inability to share your faith. Because your faith needs to have an example of, I gave this up. Just look at all the biblical examples. Every disciple had that testimony. I was a fisherman, but I laid my nets down. I walked away from my boat, and I followed Jesus. I was a tax collector, but I walked away from my office, and I followed Jesus. I was a Pharisee, 
Pharisee of the Pharisees. But I laid it all down. Paul even said this. I, can, I consider all of that, all my education, all my experiences, all my religious training, I consider it all dung, waste, manure in comparison to following Christ. What's your testimony? What is it that you gave up? If you haven't given something up, I want to ask you to give it up today. I want you to ask, invite you to give up your life to gain eternal life. I want to ask you, if you have done that, to intentionally commit to share that with somebody, to pray for someone, to be willing to make that same commitment, that they would give up the life they have in order to receive the life. Jesus said it's so hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they don't want to give it up. They like their life. We're praying that they will not like the life they have in order to receive a new one that only Jesus can give. And today, if you don't pray for anything else, just pray for the opportunity to share the gospel. Pray for the strength to share your story and to communicate the truth about who Jesus is. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. And just pray this morning that the power of your Holy Spirit would overwhelm us. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, so many people in their story will tell of how they thought that they were following Jesus. They thought that they had given everything to him. They thought, but, but really it was a sham. They really hadn't relinquished everything they had for the gospel. They really hadn't laid their old lives down. We hang on to that old life. We hang on to that old way of doing things, bad habits, sinful practices, selfish ways of doing things. And so that's why our testimony is weak. Because where's the power in that? Lord, the power comes in when you show us that the life we have is not worth living. That I need to let that life go and embrace the life you want to give to me. Where you are my Lord and you are my master and you are my savior. And, and I don't tell you the life I want. You give me the life you want to give me. My identity comes from you. Who I am and what I do and, and how I function and what I do with each and every day for the rest of my life. And and, and where I live and, and how I serve, all of that comes from you because you are Lord and worthy of that. Lord, I, I pray that everyone in this room will follow you, will lay down their lives, will take up their cross, deny themselves and follow you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, if that has never been something that's been real, forget the religious practices of whether I came up front and shook a preacher's hand and forget, you know, I got baptized when I was five or whatever. Don't, those, don't think about those things. Think about right now. Are we following Jesus Christ? Have we left everything behind? Is he who I serve? Is he my master? Lord, are you my God? And you alone.